So, if you recall, I guess three weeks ago now, we were in Genesis chapter 36. We'll be in Genesis chapter 37 tonight. But I'd like to start off with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time, God, to come together and draw near to you in worship, in the word. I pray that you would speak to us, that you would calm our hearts, that we would be settled in you, that we would find peace and love and joy in you, even in this time, that you would uh, teach us and grow us and make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know anyone that seems to have it all together. It seems like everything in their life just always goes their way. They have the best job. They have the best family. They have the best house and car. And on the outside, everything just looks so good. And not only do they appear to have everything together, they let you know about it. They let you know that they're the best. They let you know that they have the best family and the best job and all these different things. And they boast about these things. They want you to know that they're favored. Do you know anyone like that? Always talks about themselves, puffs themselves up. Well, this somewhat describes the person that we'll be talking about in this text. His name is Joseph, and we see with Joseph one of his primary character flaws was entitlement, which brings me to the title of this teaching, The Entitled Child. The Entitled Child. Now, I don't want to bash Joseph completely because Joseph was a great man. He was a righteous man. In fact, we don't see at any point in Joseph's story one sin that specifically pointed out. Now, we know that doesn't mean that uh, he's sinless because we know that all have fallen sin, or all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Joseph falls into that category. He has sinned and we see evidence of sin in this story. But it's interesting that unlike his brothers and his father and grandfather, his sins aren't pointed out specifically he is again a righteous man and he's definitely favored by both his earthly father and his heavenly father in fact a quarter of the book of genesis is about joseph it's about his story more than abraham more than isaac more than jacob we hear more about joseph so this story, it must be very important to God. And we'll continue uh, through the rest of the series through Genesis. Most of it is about Joseph. Now, we're going to see that Joseph, though he was imperfect, would be used by God as a vessel to bring a form of salvation to the nation of Israel. 
And what's also really neat about this chapter and wants to come is that Joseph is another typology. We've spoken about typologies before, but what I mean when I speak of this typology is that he's a type of Christ. There's a lot of things that happen in Joseph's life that are, are pictures, are foreshadowings of things that happen in the Gospels with Jesus specifically. So as we dive into this text, I'll point some of these things out to you. I won't point all of them out to you because uh, we don't have enough time, but it's really interesting to see how Joseph was so similar. His story is so similar to Jesus Christ. If you will pick it up in Genesis chapter 37, verse 1, says, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Jacob, he's dwelling in the land as a stranger, just like his father before him. Isaac, just like his father before him. Abraham, they're dwelling in a land that isn't their own. And this gives us a picture of what our perspective is supposed to be here on earth. We're just strangers dwelling in a land that isn't our own. Our home is in heaven, which brings me to the first of four points. We're just strangers here. We're just strangers here. Just as Jacob was a stranger in this land that wasn't his own, his own, we too are strangers here in this land, this earth that isn't our own. The scriptures speak of this countless times, but one verse I'd like to point you to is Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You might be a U.S. citizen, but your citizenship is really in heaven. You're only here for a temporary time. When you compare our time on earth to eternity, it's like nothing. It's like that, gone in an instant. Yet, we spend so much of our time putting effort and energy into making our home here. Making our dwelling place, trying to be comfortable, whether it's retirement plans or trying to get the next best car or the next best house, best house. And we spend all this time, we work so hard to make our home here. But when we look at the scripture, that's not how it should be. I want to ask you, how much time do you spend investing into your earthly home? Whether that's an apartment or a house or even your room. If you're not in a house, how much time do you spend investing into earthly things? And how much time do you invest in heavenly things in your heavenly home? Because the scriptures clearly tell us that we will have treasures in heaven and will receive treasures specifically in the form of crowns uh, through uh, by how we live here on earth. And we could get into specifics, but for time's sake, ultimately, how we invest in our heavenly inheritance, how we make our home in heaven a little more comfortable, though it'll be perfect for all of us, is we simply live out the word of God. We do what God tells us to do, and as we purpose to do that, he truly has a treasure for us 
waiting in heaven based on how we live our lives here because we're just strangers here. Genesis chapter 37, verse 2. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, Joseph is one of Jacob's 12 sons, which will ultimately make up the 12 tribes of Israel. But look at what he has his son doing. Specifically, he was feeding the flocks with his brothers. He was taking care of sheep. Why would his father have him take care of the flocks? Why would his father have him take care of the sheep? Well, his earthly father would have him take care of the sheep because it was a need. It was a form of income and provision. But his heavenly father had another purpose. His heavenly father had him take care of those sheep because he was preparing him. He was preparing him to be a leader. If you can learn to take care of sheep, has anyone ever taken care of a sheep shepherded before at all? A couple of people? Sheep are dumb as rocks. They really are. But the Bible likens us to sheep because compared to God, we're dumb as rocks. And you'll call a sheep and call a sheep and call a sheep. You'll go to feed them and sometimes they just won't listen to you. And it's like, I'm trying to help you, but you keep going off with the flock, much like we do with the father. He's trying to help us, but we want to be with our friends in the world and we're comfortable here. But the father's like, I got food for you and we won't come to him. And we could talk about sheep all day long. But the point is that Joseph was being trained as a shepherd to be a leader. Now, Joseph likely didn't realize this, that one day he would go to Egypt and he would truly rule the nation of Egypt and he would be the avenue of salvation, like I said, for his family. But again, he probably wasn't thinking this at the time. And we too can look at the task at hand and minimize it. We can look at what we're doing right now and eh, I don't really like my job or I don't really like the capacity that I'm serving in. I want bigger things. I want better things. But let me tell you, please rest assured that the task at hand isn't too small, nor is it too big. It's just the right size for God to prepare you for what he has for you in the future. You ever have seasons in your life that you're extremely overwhelmed? You're like, God, this is too much. You're like, man, I need to take something off my plate. And then you have other seasons where it's like, man, life's a piece of cake. I don't have enough on my plate. And it's so funny that usually we're in one end of the spectrum or the other. God, take something away or God, give me something else. And I find myself in this situation. And the moment that I'm asking God to give me more stuff, it's usually a matter of weeks that I'm overwhelmed again. I'm like, why was I even asking that? God's like, I'm trying to teach you what I have for you in this moment, in this season is just the right amount because you don't know what's to come. So it's so important, it's so crucial for us to take the task at hand seriously, even if we think of it as a small thing, it's not too small for you. It's just the right size and God will use that small task, whether it's being a shepherd or working at a secular job, whatever it may be. But he's using those things to prepare you for the position that he's going to have for you in the future. 
But look at this last part of verse 2. I'll reread it. So he's out shepherding with his brothers and he comes back. It says, Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. So I don't know what scriptures don't tell us what they were doing. Um, They're just messing around, whatever it may be. We see that Joseph noticed that there was likely sin happening. They were doing something wrong. So he goes to his father. Yes, he's standing up for righteousness, but he's also being a tattletale. Okay, and we'll see that this doesn't go over very well with his brothers. He doesn't have the greatest relationship with them. You think you might have a bad relationship with your brother or sister? Let's read the rest of this story. Genesis chapter 37, verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. Now look at what it says here, Israel, that's Jacob, that's another name for Jacob, that's actually the name that God gave Jacob. He loved Joseph more, just as this earthly father loved this earthly son, so too the heavenly father loves his heavenly son. God the Father loves his son, Jesus Christ. This is the first connection, I'll continue to help you make these connections and see how uh, there's other deeper ones that give us a picture of Christ. Now, it says that because he loved him, he gave him a tunic of many colors. Now, many translations uh, say that this uh, tunic of many colors or coat of many colors was actually a, a coat of big sleeves. Okay, meaning that um, when they would wear their garments, they'd cut out a big uh, piece of material like uh, 10 feet long or so, and they would cut a hole in it. They'd put their head in it and then they'd like wrap a belt around them. And that was their outfit. That was like their their little dress. Everybody's wearing dresses, not just the girls, the, the guys, too. Okay, but this specific tunic Um, perhaps it had sleeves on it, which would make him distinct from his brothers. They didn't have the coat with big sleeves. Now, whether this was the coat of many colors or the coat of big sleeves, it's neither here nor there. The point is that this distinguished Joseph amongst his brothers. This was um, to give a picture of how Joseph was prominent and favored over his brothers. In fact, this was a sign and a symbol that though he was the second youngest, he would receive the birthright. His father gave him like a measure of authority uh, over his brothers. Genesis chapter 37, verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So... Joseph, not only the favored child, he tattletales on his brothers and now the brothers, they they hate him. They likely hated him. Now they hate him more. Now think about all the buildup. He's 17 years old, over 17 years, knowing that Joseph is the favorite one, that his father loves him the most. He gets more whatever, probably more food, probably more money, probably more everything. And he's having all this favor poured out on them, on him. Imagine how this makes the other brothers feel. See, this is anger built up over 17 years. 
And when you give anger a day to grow, it turns into what? It turns into bitterness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, that's why we're warned of this throughout the scriptures. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. When you're angry with some, someone, if you're angry with your brother or your sister or your child or your spouse, whatever it is, you're called to resolve, you're called to reconcile that issue because if you neglect it and you don't reconcile it and it even goes one more day, the sun goes down on your wrath, the next day it will turn into bitterness. And when we become bitter, we will do some stupid things as we'll see these brothers do. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 5. Now, Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. Great, Joseph. Good job, right? His brothers hate him already. He tells on them they hate him more. And now he has this dream and he goes and tells them what this dream is. We'll talk about the dream in a moment, but this is one of the signs that we see that Joseph, he struggled with entitlement. He's basically bragging about not only how much his earthly father has favor on him, but also his heavenly father has favor on him, as we'll see in the dream. It's all about the family bowing down to him and him being the authority over the family. But the point I want to make here is that Every blessing that we receive, everything that God speaks to us or does for us, it's not always meant to be shared with other people. Now, I'm not saying don't tell people what God's doing in your life and don't share about the blessings in your life. But we see there's certain times where we're supposed to share what God tells us or what God does for us. And there's other times that it's probably better if we don't share, if we don't say anything, which brings me to the second point. Be mindful of what you share with others. Be mindful of what you share with others. Imagine you always got to take other people into consideration. If you sharing that blessing with someone is going to cause them to stumble, the Bible clearly speaks of us not causing people to stumble. So this requires discernment. Okay, let's say, um, let's say, hey, I just got this great new job. I looked for one day and man, God bless me with this job. I'm making over $100,000 a year and yada, yada, yada. And you're telling this to your friend that's been out of work for four months. And you're bragging about this great job that you got. Now, your friend should be happy for you, but how is that going to make them feel? It's not going to make them feel great. Hey, you've been shopping for a house for the last year. I looked on Zillow one day and I got it. It's like, really? What's your heart about sharing that with that specific person? Not that you shouldn't share it, but be mindful and considerate in who you share and what you share. Is that going to cause someone else to stumble? In fact, we even see throughout the Gospels, Jesus several times speaks clearly about not sharing what he did in a specific person's life, telling them not to tell people. I'll give you one example in Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, verse 41, it says... He encounters this leper, okay? And it says, Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. 
As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. And said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. What do you think he does? Verse 45. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in the deserted places and they came to him from every direction. Now, likely Jesus is telling him not to say anything because he doesn't want the unwanted attention. He knows that the scribes and Pharisees, the people that are overseeing the temple, the high priest, if they know about Jesus doing these things, it's going to cause unwanted attention and ultimately it's going to lead to his persecution. And it wasn't his time yet to die on the cross. But I think there's another lesson that we can pull from this. He heals this man and he tells him not to say anything. There's certain things that God does in our life that's just between us and the Lord. It's just meant to be between us and the Lord. You have that friend that you know the moment that you tell them that secret, it's going to spread through running springs like wildfire. Like, you know, if you tell that person something, it's just a matter of time before you're hearing about it on Facebook and phone calls. and all, Oh, this is what's happening. You got that friend? Maybe you tell them things specifically because you want them to spread like wildfire. Maybe you even tell them not to say anything because those things that you're telling them not to say anything, you actually want them to say. But in all reality, if you have a friend like that, you're probably not going to trust them with deep, dark secrets, all right? You're probably not going to want to reveal these deep things to us. Now, I'm not saying that that's how it is with God in us, but we can be a bad friend to God. When he tells us things or he does things in our life and he says, hey, this is just between me and you. I don't even want you to tell people about this specific thing. And I've had these things happen to me in my life, but I can't share them because he told me not to. Genesis chapter 37, verse 6. <clears throat> so he said to them, please hear this dream, which I have dreamed. This is the dream. There we were binding sheaths sheaves in the field then behold my sheep arose and also stood upright and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheep and his brother said to him shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion over us so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words then he dreamed still another dream <clears throat> And told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? Now we see Joseph, he shares the specifics of of this dream. Now, it doesn't say that this dream or these dreams were directly from the Lord, but we will see these dreams fulfilled in Genesis chapter 43. So it appears that they were directly from the Lord. Now, the first dream, he talks about sheaves, which are like bundles of wheat. And he says how 
I'm going to have this sheave that's raised up in your sheaves. The brothers are going to bow down to me. And this is interesting because it would be food that brought the brothers to bow down to Joseph. So there's a little foreshadowing that's happening here. And this is a a prophetic dream, if you will. And then the other dream, he talks about the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowing down to him. The sun obviously uh, equates to the father, his father, Jacob. Um, The moon would be his mother, likely Rachel, because that's his biological mother, though she might have been dead at this point. Or uh, this is... Um, kind of backtracking, and this is a story that happened before she died. We don't know for sure, but the sun represents his father, the moon represents his mother, and the 11 stars represent his brothers. I'm just, I'm just making sure you're paying attention. Good job. Okay, and what's interesting about this is we see the same comparison in Revelation chapter 12. Okay, in Revelation chapter 12, it says here in verse 1, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed, clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head, a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cries out in labor and pain to give birth. Now some will say that this woman is Mary. But we see even from the beginning, the first book in the Bible, that this woman represents the nation of Israel. Even like the dream that we see here with Joseph. The moon, the stars, the sun, all these things represent the nation of Israel. And basically what Joseph is saying is, my father, my mother, my brothers, they're all going to bow down to me. So not only my brothers, but my father and my mother as well. And it's so interesting, and I've discussed this before, but God, he speaks in dreams. He will speak to you in dreams. Not that every dream you have is from the Lord, okay? But certain dreams, specific dreams may as well be. And I've shared stories with you of different people that have had different dreams, even my personal dreams that I found out later were from the Lord. So I'm going to share one with you from a friend. Now, this is kind of cool. Um, So... Several months back, wait, eight months now, I was praying and I was asking God, hey, when are we supposed to have have a child? I, I want to be, me and my wife, completely submitted to you in that timing and everything. And I was reading and I was in Ruth and it was talking about this uh, redemptive child that would bring life, would be born um, of Boaz and Ruth. And, and then I was in 1 Samuel and it was talking about another child that was going to be born, uh, 1 Samuel, uh, when Samuel is born from, from Hannah and she was barren, all these different things. Anyways, I believe that God was telling me we were going to have a boy. So I had this conversation with Elizabeth and a couple days later we were in El Salvador and her friend Lorena, she said, I had a dream uh, that you guys had a boy and uh, this was like a, a gift from Elizabeth's mom who passed away last spring and we know every good gift comes from the father, but it was like this uh, thing that was in her dream and... Then when Elizabeth was worshiping at the pastor's wives conference, she said that the Lord spoke to her heart and said, you're pregnant and you're going to have a son. Just last week, we found out it's going to be a boy. Isn't that cool? Like God speaks. He speaks 
in various ways at various times, if we incline our ear to hear, he will speak to us. It might not be an audible thing, but he'll find a way to get the message across to you if you're open to it. And that just blows my mind. The Lord spoke, speaks to me on a somewhat regular basis, but something as profound as that just blows me away. He will speak to you. And in this case, he speaks through a dream. And we know it's from the Lord because it's fulfilled. Genesis chapter 37, verse 11. And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So his brothers envied him, right? They already hated him. Now they envy him. They want what he has. Envy, as we'll see in this story, it leads us to stupidity. What they do because of envy is stupid. See, we got to be grateful for who we are in Christ and how he's blessed us and the favor he has on us personally, because the moment you become ungrateful can lead to the moment that you do something regretful. And that's exactly what we're going to see these brothers do. They're going to do something that they later regret. But look what it says. His father kept the matter in mind. His father, though it kind of what son i'm gonna be bound down to you he still kept it in mind because he knew who his son was and he knew he was special and he knew that there might be truth to this dream genesis chapter 37 verse 12 then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in shechem now we see that the brothers go back to shechem which is somewhat alarming why what was the last thing that happened in shechem Anything, anybody remember? Dinah was raped. Their sister was raped. And Simeon and Levi killed a whole people group. Okay, so nothing good happened in Shechem. And Shechem is a picture of the world. And we talked about that in a few weeks back. But the brothers, what's happening here is they're drawn back to Shechem. Though tragedy happened there, though a devastating thing happened there, though absolute misery happened there, they were drawn back. So too can we be drawn back to the world. Shechem's a picture of the world. And we can remember the good times that we had in the in the world, those moments that feel felt good, those those highlight nights, whatever it may be, and we'll be like, oh yeah, there were these good times in the world. And so often we'll forget the miserable times and we'll be drawn back because of the good times only later to be reminded of the miserable times. These brothers, they're drawn back to Shechem. Genesis chapter 37, verse 13. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, here I am. Now, this is interesting. Joseph's 17, we've seen that he's uh, been a shepherd already in this uh, chapter, but right now his brothers are out shepherding and he's not with them. Why isn't he with them? It could be because of the father's favor on him that Jacob was just keeping him close, or it could be the entitlement of Joseph that he just thought, dude, I'm the favorite child, I don't need to work. Regardless of the reason, it's ultimately the favor that leads him to stay. And this favor from his father leads him to a place of entitlement. 
so too can God's favor on our life lead us to a place of entitlement. All of a sudden, we begin to think that we deserve all these blessings when we don't really. He doesn't owe us anything. He paid the price on a cross. The cross is enough. His grace is sufficient. Anything above that is just a bonus blessing. Which brings me to the third point. Let the Father's favor lead you to labor. Let the Father's favor lead you to labor. Now, Joseph, he's allowing the Father's favor lead him to this place of entitlement, and he's not laboring alongside his brothers. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, it says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me is not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Paul, he says, hey, the grace of God, I didn't take it for granted. I allowed God's grace in my life to, to, to teach me to labor. Not that I'm working for grace or for salvation. That's a free gift, but I'm working from grace. The grace of God, the love of God is compelling me to live a life where I just want to please him in all that I do. That's what grace is supposed to teach us to do. It's freely given, but our response to it should be this labor this labor more abundantly than they all this diligent pursuit of him and serving him and i love joseph's response here he says here i am he's willing he's ready whatever the father wants him to do he'll do it the son was willing to be sent out by the father just like jesus christ the son of god was be willing to be sent out from heaven by his father so he went out so uh look at verse 14 then he said to him please go and see it then see if it will it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. Here it is. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now this is really interesting here because we talked about how Shechem is a picture of the world, right? Now this word Hebron, this place that he's it, it literally means to bind together, to join together a team or fellowship. It's this togetherness. That's what that word means. Follow me. Now Jacob sent his son from the place of fellowship to where? The world. Just like Jesus Christ was sent by his father from this place of perfect fellowship to the world. And he was sent to the world for a specific purpose. And we see the same purpose here. Look at verse 15. Now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. So he's going out. <clears throat> Joseph is. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. Why was Joseph sent out? He was sent out to get his brothers. He was sent to his brethren. Just like Jesus Christ was sent to seek and find the, the lost, specifically the lost sheep of Israel first. That's what we see in Matthew chapter 15. He was sent out by his father from the place of fellowship to the world 
to his brethren, to gain brethren, to gain a family in Christ. Verse 17, And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now, Dothan, there's different interpretation of, of what that meaning actually is. Some say double uh, sickness. Um, others say uh, double cisterns, like a, 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 a thing to hold water. Now, this is likely what it is. Two cisterns, this place likely had some water there, and that's why they were bringing their flocks there to, to get the sheep water, Okay. Genesis chapter 37, verse 18. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. So he doesn't even do anything. They just see him from afar off and they desire to kill him. They plot to kill him. They didn't need him to do something to be pushed over the edge. They were already over the edge. They were already done with Joseph. They were just looking for an opportunity. Verse 19. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. What shall we shall see what will become of his dreams? Now look at this. What are the brothers doing? They're testing these dreams that he has. If we uh, allow him to be devoured by a wild animal, if we allow him to be killed, we'll see what happens to these dreams. We'll see if these dreams are truly from the Lord, if they truly mean something. But as we'll see through his story, that these dreams will be fulfilled because you cannot stop God's will. Which brings me to the fourth point. God's will can't be stopped. God's will can't be stopped. God's will will be fulfilled through Joseph's life. And we see throughout Scripture different forms of the enemy try to prevent God's will from being done. We see the temptation with Jesus in the wilderness. We see all the persecution that happens in Acts. And I want to point to one specific section of Acts. In Acts chapter 5, we see um, similar to this, they were plotting, they were plotting how to kill uh, the disciples in verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Now this teacher, this famous teacher, Gamaliel, he stands up, he has this uh, response to it, and look what he says in verse 38. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan, for if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Gamaliel, the the Hebrew, the rabbi, he's saying, hey, you know, I'm not about this Christianity thing, but there's no sense in plotting to kill them. If this thing is from the Lord, it's going to prevail. Today, Christianity is the largest religion in the world. It did prevail, just as he said, and just as these Brothers are trying to prevent this dream from happening. They'll soon find out that they can't prevent these dreams from happening because it's part of God's will. You ever get in the way of people's dreams? Has anyone ever gotten in the way of your dreams? Has anyone ever tried to prevent you from doing what you know God has called you to do? 
Now, that could be uh, in ministry. Maybe it's a missionary or a pastor. Maybe it's another. Maybe it's a doctor. Maybe it's a lawyer. Maybe you're not smart enough to do that. Have you ever had someone deter you or try to prevent you from doing or fulfilling your dreams? Because this can happen. It can happen more often than some of you might like to think were to be an avenue to help people fulfill God's will for their lives, not a deterrence. I used to have this happen to me all the time when I first got into ministry. So I worked for like, um, I was in full-time ministry for two years, not getting a paycheck. I was doing it because I loved it, right? That was what God called me to. But all my friends were like, dude, what are you doing with your life? When are you going to get a real job? You've been in this ministry, now you're an intern, you got to pay to live at this place. Come on, all right. Like, you did your spiritual thing. Are you trying to be a pope or something? What, like, what's next? What are you going to do next? And I'd be like, I'm just trying to do what God's calling me to do each season at a time. At a time. And ultimately, God's will was fulfilled despite their deterrence. And praise the Lord here, we are today still in ministry. But so often, people can get in the way. And sometimes, we can get in the way of what God calls people to do because it doesn't make sense to us. It's not logical, it's not reasonable, and we can be a deterrence, but be an avenue to help people fulfill God's will, not a deterrence like these brothers trying to prevent this dream from happening. Genesis chapter 37, verse 21. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. Now, Reuben has the moral sense to protect his brother. He's also the older brother, so there's this responsibility that he has. He's kind of responsible over the other brothers because he's the oldest. So if something happens to Joseph, um, it's kind of somewhat on Reuben because he's the oldest. And part of this might be not only his moral obligation, uh, maybe he has love for his brother, but this is also likely a, an act of redemption. See, he slept with his father's concubine, with Bilhah, right? And he's not in good standing with his father. So maybe this thing will help him be in better standing with his father. Maybe he thinks that, maybe not. I don't know, but we'll see. At the end of Genesis, he still gets cursed for what he did with Bilhah. So it didn't work out for him. But he tries to prevent this thing from happening. And it's very interesting how Reuben, he's very similar to Pontius Pilate. Remember when the Jews brought Jesus to Pontius and they said, hey, we want to kill him. We want to crucify him. And he's like, uh, can we just flog him instead? Is that enough? Can we just throw him in the pit? Can we do something different and not kill him? Very similar to what happened with Jesus and Pontius Pilate and Reuben. Genesis chapter 37 Verse 23, so it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. So the tunic, it represented, as we discussed, uh, uh, his father's favoritism on him. So they strip him in a sense of that favoritism. But I want to point out something else. He was seeking his Brothers, because his father had called him, had sent him out to seek and find his brothers. And what do we see? He's rejected by his own. He's rejected by his own brothers. 
just as Jesus was rejected by his own when he was sent out. If you look at John chapter 1, in John chapter 1, and let me tell you, there's so many connections that we're not going to get into. If you want to study um, on your personal time and look into some of this stuff, it's so cool. It's so profound how many um, similarities there are with Joseph and Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 10, it says, He was in the world, speaking of Jesus, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He was sent into the world. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. Just as Joseph was sent to his own and his own did not receive them. In fact, they persecuted him just as Jesus was persecuted by his brethren. Genesis chapter 37, verse 25. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked. There was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. Some of the similarities to what was brought to Jesus as a baby, but these Ishmaelites are descendants of who? Ishmael, right? And the Ishmaelites are a picture. They represent the mistake that was made in the flesh that comes back to bite you later. Because remember, Abraham was trying to fulfill God's promise of this promised son in his flesh. And that's why he slept with Hagar. And that's where Ishmael came on the scene. So we see throughout history, the Ishmaelites are like this haunting reminder. And they're enemies of the people of God. But we too, when we make decisions in our flesh, though we might be forgiven, a lot of times those sins come back to bite us in the end, whether it's having a bad credit score because you blew all your credit early or, or, or whatever it may be, we may be forgiven, but sometimes there's still consequences as we see here. Genesis chapter 37, verse 26. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not your hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listen. So now Judas steps on the scene and he sticks up for Joseph. And he says, hey, let's not kill him. Let's not throw him in the pit. Let's just sell him to the Ishmaelites. Judah, thinking that he's doing something good, didn't realize that Reuben was already trying to save him. But Judah's heart in this is good. Genesis chapter 37, verse 28. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted, out, lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Now look, he sold for 20 shekels of silver. You remember Jesus was also sold out by Judas for shekels of silver. He was sold out for 30 shekels of silver. That was the price of a slave we see uh, later in Scripture. And you might ask, well, it's kind of the same, but it's not. Jesus was sold out for 30 shekels. Joseph was 20. Why is that? I don't know for sure, but Joseph might be like Jesus, but he ain't Jesus. Okay? Not everything is going to connect so detailed and specifically, but it's amazing all the connections that happen. Both sold out for shekels of silver. Genesis 37, verse 29. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed, and indeed, Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he turned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? 
he tears his clothes because he's distressed. Now, part of this could be because, but he, he might have had love for Joseph, said the brothers hated Joseph. Maybe Reuben had a different kind of view, but more than likely it's because of the responsibility thing. And now he's worried about what Jacob's going to do to him because his favorite son was sold as a slave. Verse 31, so they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats and dipped the tunic in his blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? So they dip this tunic, the coat of many colors in the blood of a goat. They don't flat out lie to their father. They don't say he was torn apart by wild beasts. They just bring him the coat with the blood and they're like, I don't know what happened. I don't know. We just found this. So what are they doing? They're deceiving their father. Where do you think they learned this from? Their father, Jacob, the supplanter. He's a deceiver. And in fact, we see that Jacob, when we see the the first account of him deceiving, he used a goat. He used the kid of a goat. If you look at Genesis chapter 27, verse 17, 16, sorry. This is when he deceives his father and pretends to be Esau. Look at verse 16. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. So the very thing that Jacob used to deceive his father is the same thing that his sons are using to deceive him. It's interesting how the tool we use for sin often is later used against us the goats both used by the sons to deceive their fathers you reap what you sow so obviously we see in genesis chapter 37 verse 3 33 this response from jacob and he recognized it and said it is my son's tunic a wild beast has devoured him without doubt joseph is torn to pieces Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in the morning. Thus his father wept for him. This is interesting. Joseph's not dead. But Jacob's belief in Joseph being dead is as if he's dead. What do I mean? What we believe affects our behavior. What we believe about the things that happen into our life, whether they're true or not, will affect the way we live. If we believe lies, we're going to live a lie. His son is not dead. But if I believe a lie, if I believe I'm not good enough, or if I believe all these bad things about myself, I'm going to live like I'm this bad thing and God wants nothing to do with me. But if I believe the truth about the word of God and how much he loves us, how much he cares about us and the promises he's made for us, then I'm going to live in truth. It's interesting how our mind can lead us to act certain ways. This isn't true, but he's acting like it's true because it's what he believes. What we believe will affect the way we behave. Genesis chapter 37, last verse, verse 36. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. 
So he ultimately is sold to Egypt. We'll talk about Potiphar in a couple weeks, but we see this at first glance. It looks like a tragedy, right? The favored son is sold into slavery, but we're going to see that God uses this tragedy to bring redemption to the whole family. This is actually where the beginning of a prophecy is fulfilled. In Genesis chapter 15, if you guys remember that far back, uh, Genesis chapter 15 verse 13 says, Then he said to Abram, this is God speaking, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. He's speaking about Egypt. And also the nation whom they serve will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. God said this was going to happen. He said the whole nation is going to be brought to another nation. Your descendants will be brought to this other nation. They'll be in slavery, but ultimately they'll be delivered. But they're going to be in slavery for 400 years. This is the beginning steps of this prophecy happening. See, God used Joseph's captivity to fulfill prophecy it's romans chapter 8 verse 28 and we know that all things work together for good to those who love god to those who are the called according to their purpose joseph doesn't think this is a good thing there's no way you your your brothers sell you into slavery you're not looking at that going yeah thank you god right probably not grateful in that moment but joseph doesn't realize what god's doing god's doing something so much bigger He's going to use Joseph in Egypt to save his whole family. If Joseph goes to e- doesn't go to Egypt, the family dies in a famine that we'll see uh, in the next uh, few chapters. Even the tragedy God uses to proclaim his majesty, and it's amazing how he does this. See, God's favor is greater than our tragedy and He'll often use our tragedies to reveal his favor. This tragedy doesn't happen. We don't see the extent of the favor that God had on Joseph. He literally put him in charge of the whole nation of Egypt, the greatest nation that existed up until that point. Through that tragedy, God's favor was revealed. And we can be in the middle of the tragedy. Think there's no way God has favor on me right now. He's punishing me. He's mad at me. He hates me. But you don't know what's right around the corner. His favor will be revealed in time. <clears throat> See, though Joseph was entitled, boasting about all these dreams and the favor of his father and his heavenly father, we obviously see that's true, though. His heavenly father had a lot of favor on him. Now, you too are a child of God if you've accepted the Lord into your life. But so often we can allow God's favor and allow that grace to lead us just like Joseph to a place of entitlement. And if we're led to that place of entitlement too, like Joseph, he might have to teach us a hard lesson. He might have to walk us through something extremely difficult, extremely challenging to purge us of that entitlement because there's something that god is doing with the nation of israel and bringing redemption but there's also something god's doing specifically with joseph and he's redeeming him he's purging him of entitlement he's teaching him 
how to be a leader. What would be the greatest way to purge someone of entitlement? Make them a slave. It's obvious. God's teaching him this lesson to make him a great leader. You think you're favored? How are you going to act when you're a slave? So don't take advantage of God's favor. Allow God's favor to lead you to a place of humility, a place of love. Don't take advantage of it. Be grateful for it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the story of God. Joseph, such an amazing character. So many connections to, to you and what you did in your life and death on the earth. God, I pray that you would continue to teach us Lord, the things that you want us to know. Lord, if there's entitlement in us, I pray that you would give us the grace and the strength to walk in humility. Lord, that we wouldn't have to learn the hard way like Joseph, but we would allow your grace to teach us. God, we love you. In your name, amen.